Amen. You may be seated for just a few moments. Take your Bibles if you have them this morning, and I hope you do. I hope you bring your Bibles. Uh, One of the things that we balance, want to balance, is we don't ever want the, the screens to become a substitute for you bringing the Word of God. And so they're there for those who don't have their Bible, but we hope that you will make it a habit of bringing the Word of God. There is a, a sermon guide also that is in your bulletin that I would encourage you to take notes on uh, to retain more. And most of you that, that come here know, and maybe if you're a guest today, you don't know typically the format. Usually we are going through books of the Bible. We just recently have started going through the Gospel of Mark together and Just a a fair warning here as we come into the holiday season. Of course, today we will be out of it. And then I want you to be praying, if you would, for Kim and I. Kim is sick today, not able to be here. But uh, next Monday, Lord willing, Kim and I will be going to Peru for eight days. And I will be preaching uh, eight to to 12 times in eight days there. Kim will be ministering to some uh, local pastors' wives there. And so if you would be praying for us uh, on that trip, we'll be leaving on next Monday. And so because of this and and that uh, as well, and then Christmas, there will be times throughout November and December where we will not be in Mark, but we will stay in it as much as possible as as we go through this season. Today, the Lord has directed my heart for several weeks to this psalm, Psalm 103. Around this time of the year in 1517, a Catholic monk named Martin Luther posted the 95 Thesis on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, 95 issues that he felt like needed to be addressed and corrected in the Roman Catholic Church. And as a result of that, a few years later, he was called to a council where he was to sit down and and really kind of give an answer to his quote-unquote heresies that they claimed that he was teaching. What were the heresies that he was teaching? He had denied penance. He had denied purgatory. He He had denied indulgences, really buying your way into forgiveness in heaven. He had denied salvation by works. He had denied sovereign authority of the, the Pope. In his worst crime was that he had affirmed that the only authority is the Bible, sola scriptura. In this council, Luther was, was to face a man named Joanne Erk. Joanne Erk was the chief debater of the Roman Catholic Church, and he had come really to put Luther in his place. He was to expose and denounce the heresies of Luther, especially the, the heresy of Scripture alone. The result of that tribunal was a declaration from the Pope himself that declared across all of the landscape that all of the teachings of Luther were heretical and they were banned. That amazing debate between Luther and this man named Eck It was overheard by a young man that sat in there while the debate was going on. In fact, this young man was the secretary of Joanne Eck. He was the note taker. He was the assistant. His name was Johann Grauman. 
In listening to this debate, he came away realizing this, that the man that he was recording for, Joanne Eck, was wrong and that the teachings that salvation was indeed by faith alone in Jesus Christ that he heard Luther arguing that he was right. And this man named Grauman was convinced of faith alone and he became a believer in Jesus Christ and he became a preacher of the gospel and he also became a hymn writer. In 1525 he wrote a hymn It was his expression of Psalm 103. It was later in 1863 translated from German into English. And the name of the hymn was, My soul now praise your maker. My soul now praise your maker. Let all within me bless his name who makes you full partaker of mercies more than you dare claim. As high as heavens above us as Dawn from close of day, so far since he has loved us, I love this, he puts our sins away. Praise him forever reigning, all you who hear his word, our life and all sustaining, my soul, oh praise the Lord. From the 1500s until now, we continue to sing songs as we have this, this morning that are sung around this great psalm, Psalm 103, a psalm which Spurgeon called a Bible written within itself. And so by way of introduction this morning, I want you, if you're able to physically stand, to stand with me and to read aloud with me the first five verses of Psalm 103. Let's say it all aloud. It's there in your scripture or it's on the screen. It says together, ready? Bless the Lord, O my soul, And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's father. Again, as we come to your word, we acknowledge this to be the word of God to us. And so, Lord, we surrender to it today. We submit ourselves underneath its authority. It is the authority for our life, for all that we do and practice. And so, God, I pray that today our hearts would be reminded that, that we too would, as the psalmist David did, bless you and praise you for your benefits Forgive us, Lord, for our unthankfulness. It is such a disgrace to you. It is such a slap in the face to you. And yet it is so much a part of so many of our lives. Forgive us. Make us people who are thankful and who praise and who give you glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This psalm, as you go through it, as you've already seen this morning, it is all about praise. It is pure praise. And it is not just praise. It is, it is full of the gospel. It is full of gospel praise and gospel truth. In fact, I would say that Psalm 103 is a really good anticipation to the book of Romans. 
And it is laser focused on one person, and that is Yahweh, the, the only name of God that is used in this entire psalm. It is the eternal one. And it is a psalm that is a call to remember the benefits of God, especially the benefits of his eternal salvation. Unlike many of the other psalms, there is no mention of enemies. There is no mention of of foes or threats. There are no requests that are made. There are no complaints that are made. There are no notes of disappointment. There are no lines of sadness. It is all just joyful praise, thankful praise, full praise to God for all that he has done for us. It begins and it ends with a a very personal call to worship. The very first line, bless the Lord, O my soul. The last line, bless the Lord, O my soul. And in between the first call of blessing and the last call of blessing, it travels across the infinite universe and it commands everyone and everything that exists to praise the Lord, to bless Him, to worship Him. It is a prayer by David in which he is talking to himself. How many of you talk to yourself? (laughs) David is speaking to his heart, to his soul. And he is, like you and I need to do sometimes, when we become a little comfortable and a little complaining in our spirit and in our heart and in our life, he is saying, heart and soul, bless the Lord, praise the Lord. He is talking to himself. He is calling himself with everything that he is, with the whole of his being, with his intellect, with his emotion, with his brain and his heart and his lungs and his tongue to to worship and to praise the Lord. And for just a few moments this morning, before we go and enjoy some physical food, I want us to be reminded of some incredible spiritual truths that we ought to thank God for this morning that the Lord has given us as his benefits. And the very first one is found in verse number three, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. And I want to say, first of all, this morning that we need to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord for the incredible benefit of God's forgiveness. I wouldn't be dogmatic about this, but I I truly believe that these two phrases in verse number three, they go together, that they are connected. I believe that the forgiving of sin and the healing of diseases are both speaking here of spiritual conditions. There's a number of scriptures in the Old Testament where God relates the sin of Israel to the sickness of of disease. And Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 5 and 6 is one of those. It says, why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint from the sole of the foot. Even unto the head there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up neither mollified with ointment. He is speaking here of of Israel's spiritual conditioning, their spiritual sickness, and he is relating it to the disease. You remember in the New Testament when Jesus was speaking of a spiritual condition, he says in Matthew chapter 9, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth you, Master, with publicans and sinners? 
But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And certainly we know that our God has always been a God who can heal, physically heal. He is still a God who can physically heal. But the greatest healing that God can give any person is the spiritual healing of their soul. And I believe here as he connects these two together that he is speaking here of the forgiveness of our sins, of the healing in our spiritual lives that sin brings. The very first thing that comes to the mind of David as he begins to rehearse the benefits of God is that he has forgiven our sins. In Psalm 34, David said this, I will bless the Lord at all times. In the good times, in the bad times that we will experience on this earth. And I don't know what you might be facing today. I don't know what circumstances that you might be going through in this temporary life in which we live where trials are part of it. But I know this, if you are here this morning and you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven you and you have great reason this morning to rejoice in the, in the Lord of our salvation. He has forgiven our sins. There, there's a Bible word and it's kind of a difficult word, but I think it's a good word for us in the church to know and it is the word that is mentioned in 1 John 2.2. 2. This is not in your notes. It is the word propitiation, where John writes that he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation means wrath observer. And what that means is that the judgment that you and I deserved for our sin, God placed on Jesus at the cross. He put our sin on Jesus. And because of that, we have today the forgiveness of sin. I want to remind you this morning of something that Satan wants you to forget. And that is what what David mentions here in the psalm. Look at it again in verse number three. Who forgiveth, what's the next word? All. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, all your sins. Note that David says that that all of our sins, it's a small word with a massive implication. And this is good news for us because a lot of us have done the same dumb thing over and over and over and over. Anybody with me on this? We have. And what David is reminded, a man who was marked by sin, a man who had committed adultery, a man who had put someone in the front lines of a war so that he would be killed, a man who knew very much what sin was. He rehearses the blessings of the Lord here, and he says, I praise God, I bless the Lord, because he doesn't just forgive some of my sins, he forgives all of my sins. And here's what Satan is really good at. He is, he is good at making us think, well, God will forgive you for this, and God will forgive you for that, but he can never forgive you for, for this and for that. Listen, he has forgiven every sin, past, present, and future. Bless the Lord this morning for the forgiveness of, his sin, for, for the forgiveness of our sins. 
We are forgiven. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Quit letting Satan condemn you when Jesus has already put it underneath the blood. All of our sins are forgiven. Bless the Lord this morning if your sins are forgiven. Praise the Lord if you have had your sins forgiven. And if you haven't, if there's never been a time in your life where you have put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and you have called out to Him for salvation, if there's never been a time like that, I want to tell you that He wants to save you today. And the moment that you do that, your sins will be forgiven. The benefit of forgiveness of sin. Secondly, notice in verse 4, the benefit of rescue. The benefit of rescue. He says, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Eternal life and life on this earth. The word word redeem means to buy back. To buy back. The word destruction means a pit. He is telling us this. He has brought me back. To rescue me from eternal death and eternal destruction. He redeems our life from going to waste. You see, Jesus saved us from our sin, but he also saves us from ourselves. Because you know what we're good at? Self-destructing. And Jesus comes and, and he says... You've blown it, as I just mentioned a while ago. You'll never be able to be used now. What are people going to think of you now? And he says, I will redeem your life from destruction. I will redeem your life from the pit. Also connected to our redemption is our resurrection. And one day we will rise from the grave to be glorified, to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm 49, 15, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. Which means because Jesus conquered death, we do not have to worry about death conquering us. Indeed, Romans 6, 23, the wages of our sin was death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have, as the children of God, no need to fear eternal and destructive hell. I love what Isaiah said in Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen: Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins Behind thy back. And of course the psalmist in Psalm 40. Verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me. And he heard my cry. And he brought me up also. Out of a horrible pit. And he set my. Out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock. And established my goings. How many of you would say. That is my testimony this morning. That God has delivered me from the pit of destruction. Sin was leading us to a pit of eternal destruction. And by the grace of God, He has delivered us from that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
Because our sins have been forgiven. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Everything that I can muster up this morning, let me praise the Lord. Because God has rescued me from the pit of destruction. My identity is not in what Satan tells me I am. My identity is in who Christ tells me I am. I love those two words all throughout the New Testament. In Christ. And when Satan tries to remind you of all the things of your past, you simply need to remind him that you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Your sins, all of them, have been forgiven you. You have been given the great benefit of rescue from eternal death and destruction. And then, man, I love this one. Number three, the benefit of God's committed love and mercy. The benefit of God's committed love and mercy. Look at it. Who crowneth thee, this is an awesome word, loving kindness and tender mercies. The word loving kindness is the Hebrew word for committed love, for covenant love. He says he's crowned us with this committed covenant Love And I love that he says he crowns us with it because it reminds us of our position as the children of the king. You see, even though we didn't deserve to be royalty, he made us royalty. He crowns us with this committed covenant love. This is the kind of love that is, that is unbroken, that is expressed in him keeping his promises to those that belong to him. It is loyal love. It is unending love. It is unchanging love. See, God is a pardoning God. He is a forgiving God. He makes covenant with those who put their trust in Him. And He will never break that covenant. Which is why Paul would later write in Romans chapter 8 and remind us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? For thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, say it with me, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then he says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. It is a committed covenant love that he has given us. So once again, whatever Satan has convinced you that has made God stop loving you, that is a lie from the enemy. He loves you as much today as he ever has before. His love is constant. You can't change his love. It is a committed love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's committed to this type of love. It is passionate. His love is passionate. His love is parental, which does mean that at times it brings correction, doesn't it? For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens, he corrects. It's a protective love. It is a vast love. It is constant. It is infinite. And it will never, ever change. And then notice this, the expression of his committed love. He gives to us in the same verse. The expression of his committed love 
What he gives us because of that committed love is his tender mercies. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? His tender mercies. That is that what we deserve, he has withheld. His love is is demonstrated in his compassionate care, in his lavish mercy that is poured out on us. It's God withholding that which we deserve because of our sin. In fact, look down in verse number 8. He describes it further for us. And this will even make a a saved Presbyterian shout this morning as you read these verses, all right? Look at it, verse 8. Maybe a, a Baptist shout. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plentiful in mercy. Let me read that again. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. How many of you are thankful he's slow to anger? And he's plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. You remember when your parents disciplined you and you felt like there was just this this anger and you thought, is it ever going to go away? And then they would wrap you up in their arms and they would love you and they would express to you their love and their care for you. By the way, parents, after you discipline, make sure you have that time of coming back and loving on your children. Anger is not going to last forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins. How many of you are thankful for that? Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Notice how he expresses the depth of this mercy. It is as high as the heavens. He says it's as far as the east is from the west. And then he says it's from everlasting to everlasting. That's how big his mercy is. That's why I tell you that there is no sin so great that his mercy and his grace cannot cover. As the east is from the west, verse 12, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knows our frame. He knows our temptation like we saw last week. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're but dust. He knows that we we are going to struggle with with sin. As for man, his days are as grass. As the flower of the field, so so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto the children's children. You see, our sins and our iniquities were paid in full at the cross. And now as Christians, we, we still belong to the Lord and we love the Lord, but the truth is that we still have sins. But even now, even in this life, not just eternally, but even in this life, aren't you thankful that God's mercy is poured out upon us and that he is slow to anger and he doesn't deal with us Like he could or like he should. As one preacher put it, our sins are many. His judgments are few. Our sins are heavy. His discipline is light. 
Our sins have been continual and persistent. His blows are occasional and slight. Our guilt is disgraceful and provocative. His forgiveness is patient and merciful. When he should justly destroy us, he pours out his tender mercies and compassion on us. We have reason to rejoice this morning. You know, our ingratitude and our stubbornness and sin would exhaust the mercy of any and the patience of any other human being, but not our Lord's. Not our Lord's. No wonder Micah said in Micah 7, in verse number 18, Who is a God like unto thee? that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Say that last phrase with me. He delighteth in mercy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, because of God's committed love and his tender mercy. And then lastly, we'll be done. The benefit of God's forgiveness, the benefit of his rescue, the benefit of his committed love and mercy, and then the benefit of content satisfaction. He says in verse number five, who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. I believe that David writing this psalm is in his latter years of life as he writes and he is reflecting on the gracious benefits of God. He is thinking about back over his life at the sin in his life, at the the failures in his life, and he is rehearsing the benefits of God. And he sees that even in his older years, God is satisfying him and he is giving him renewed strength. You see, the sanctified and blessed life is a satisfied life. God satisfies us, listen, like I said earlier, not just by (coughs) blessing us with physical things. I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for a house, and I'm thankful for clothing, and I'm thankful for all of these things. But listen, we need to thank God this morning for the spiritual benefits and blessings that he has given us. He has blessed us with his presence. How many of you are thankful this morning for the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us, that speaks to us, that comforts us, that brings us love and joy and peace? The gifts that the Holy Spirit brings us, his presence, his provision in our life, his provision not for our greeds but for our needs. He satisfies our heart and our soul and he fills our our life with his power and his presence. David's saying he literally pours life and vigor. At 91 years old, Brother Noel, he still pours it into our life, spiritual energy. Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We bless him this morning with all that we have. From the depths of our soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, with my mind, with my heart, with my tongue. Bless his name. Bless his name. Oh, how easily we forget the benefits of God, don't we? We want the things of this world and we forget the benefits of God. We chase after 
more things. When God says, I'm here, I'm in you, I'm with you. You have my presence, you have my provision. You may not have all you want, but you have all you need. Everybody that sits in this sanctuary this morning is in the 95 percentile of the richest people in all the world. And yet, we are some of the most ungrateful, complaining people in all the world. Someone said, nothing more clearly demonstrates our remaining sin like the ease with which we forget God's staggering love and blessing. And nothing more clearly demonstrates God's divinity like his unending mercy, committed love, and grace. So look how David concludes this psalm, verse number 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his host, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And it sounds a lot like Psalm 150, where the psalmist closes this book of Psalm by saying, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the heart. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with, with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And the church said, praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It was 1974. There was a little boy born in England. He was born into a very dysfunctional family. He grew up in a home of an abusive father. At the age of seven, this little boy's father committed suicide. His mother remarried to another abusive stepfather who eventually ended up in prison for abusing their family. It was a hard life for this little boy. But at the age of 10 years old, he went with his mom to an evangelistic meeting in London. It was held by an evangelist named Luis Palau. And that evening, after the gospel was clearly given, this 10-year-old little boy walked down the aisle. Some would have said he had nothing really to praise God about. He had been abused. His home was dysfunctional. This young boy at 10 years old, he accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior, and he began to attend church. And they found out very quickly, not only... Was this young man now a young man who was committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, but God had given him a very special gift in music. He loved music. And in wanting to celebrate what Christ had done in his life, he started writing songs. And he came to Psalm 103. And he wrote a song. His expression of Psalm 103, which we sang earlier. 
10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Matt Redman was that little boy who some would have said he has nothing to praise the Lord about. And yet he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. 10,000 reasons. He says, I have 10,000 reasons and more to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord. As we look at this psalm this morning, I wonder, are we thankful? Are we grateful for the forgiveness of our sins? Do we think about it every day? Do you think every day of where you would have been had it not been for the forgiveness of God, for the rescue of God? How many of you right now in your mind, you think, if God had not, if God had not convicted me, if God had not arrested me, there is no telling where I would be. It would be a pit of destruction. He's rescued us. He's rescued us. He has forgiven our sins. What about his committed love and his mercy? When you're sitting there and you think, I just can't think of anything to praise God for today. And you enter your prayer time immediately. God, we want this and we need this and we, we, we need these things. And never stopping to thank God for the forgiveness of his sin, our sins and the mercy poured out upon us and his grace poured out upon us and his committed love that is given to us. And the satisfaction he gives us in this life, whether we have little or a lot. How many of you may be here this morning and there's never been a time in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and quite honestly, your life is very dark. Very dark. You live in a dark place with no hope really. No confidence of what may happen when this life is over. There's never been a time in your life where you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you in just a few moments. If you can't go back to a time and place in your heart where you have done that and you have felt and sensed and know of the presence of God in your life, to do that today, to do that today, to make certain, as John says, that we may know that we have eternal life to give your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning no one looking around except for me and I'm not going to point you out but I do want to pray for you this morning some of you as your pastor some of you just as a friend this morning you may or may not know I wonder if there's anyone here this morning, and I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you, but you would just say, will you pray for me? I am not 100% sure that if I were to die today that I would spend eternity with God in heaven. I don't have that confidence, but I want to know that. Would you just raise your hand, lift up your hand, let me pray for you this morning. Anyone, I see that hand. Anyone else this morning? Pray for me. I don't know for sure, but I want to know. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Let me pray for you. How many of you as Christians would say this morning, God has spoken to my heart. My, I am an ungrateful Christian. Let's just say it like it is. I do not thank God near enough for the forgiveness of, of, of sins, for his mercy and love that is poured out upon me. 
for his presence, for his power, for his provision in my life. And you would just say, would you pray for me that God would make me a more thankful Christian? Would you raise your hand this morning if that's you with mine? We want to open up this altar. If God's spoken to your heart, why don't you just come and find a place here and pray to the Lord. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that does not know you this morning, that they would step out. Let us take the word of God and show them that before they leave today, how they can know that they can have eternal life. I pray for Christians, Lord, that you've spoken to this morning, that you would help them to step out, to find a place of surrender at this altar. Even now, Lord, deal with us as this, we come to this time of invitation. In Christ's name we pray.